Before we get into our next section of our study of Ezekiel's temple or the Millennial Kingdom temple, I want to deal with why the Zadokites will be able to serve before the Lord in the temple and the Levites will only be able to serve between the, before the people. This is something we've referenced for the last two weeks. And I kept saying, we're going to cover that. We're going to cover it. And I just realized before we can go any further, we really have to deal with that. And I'm going to show you from Scripture tonight. We're going to deal with a lot of Scriptures that show this. But in the book of Ezekiel, in the Millennial Kingdom Temple, God says over and over that only the descendants of Zadok, by the way, you're going to see in a little bit, the, the Z, descendants of Zadok are Levites. But only the descendants of Zadok, who came from the Levites, are going to be able to serve before him at the temple, in the holy place, in the most holy place. The, the rest of the Levites who are going to be serving in the temple that aren't descendants of Zadok, they're going to be able to serve, but they'll only serve the people. They won't be able to be in the presence of Jesus and serve Jesus himself. And we're going to, we're going to deal tonight with why. And now, just let me just tell you ahead of time, this isn't just an interesting study because to find out why the Zedekites can and the, and the rest of them can't, there's something for each of us tonight. And, and it surprised me last night how much we needed to really deal with this topic to the point that even though I had my notes prepared to move on to the next section, God took us last night into a deeper study of this, and I believe He wants us to do that as well. So I went home last night afterwards and actually... All the scriptures God just started bringing to my mind to deal with this topic. I wrote them all down. So we're going to do a big study tonight as to why the Zadokites can serve before him in the Millennial Kingdom and the rest of the Levites can't. And it speaks to us today. There's something for us that we need to hear. So go to Ezekiel chapter 40 and look at verses 44 through 46. It says, On the outside of the inner gateway there were two chambers in the inner court, one at the side of the north gate facing south, the other at the side of the south gate facing north. And he said to me, this chamber that faces south is for the priests who have charge of the temple. And the chamber that faces north is for the priests who have charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok, who alone among the sons of Levi may come near to the Lord to minister to him. So here we see that only the descendants of Zadok, who are going to be alive at that time, are going to be able to minister before the Lord. Go to Ezekiel chapter 43. <clears throat> Excuse me, Ezekiel 43 verses 18 and 19. And he said to me, Son of man, thus says the Lord God, these are the ordinances for the altar. On the day when it is erected for offering, burn offerings upon it, and for throwing blood against it, you shall give to the Levitical priests of the family of Zadok, who draw near to me to minister to me, declares the Lord God, a bull from the herd for a sin offering. So again, he makes it very clear, only the descendants of Zadok are going to be able to minister before me. Go to Ezekiel chapter 44 and look at verses 10 through 16. Ezekiel 44, verses 10 through 16. <clears throat> but the Levites who went far from me, going astray from me after their idols, when Israel went astray, shall bear their punishment. They shall be ministers in my sanctuary, having oversight at the gates of the temple and ministering in the temple. They shall slaughter the burnt offering and the sacrifice for the people, and they shall stand before the people to minister to them, because they ministered to them before their idols and became a stumbling block of iniquity to the house of Israel. Therefore I have sworn concerning them, declares the Lord God, and they shall bear their punishment. They shall not come near me, near to me to serve me as priest, nor come near any of my holy things and the things that are most holy, but they shall bear their shame and the abominations that they have committed. Yet I will appoint them to keep charge of the temple, to do all its service and all that's to be done in it. 
But the Levitical priests, the sons of Zadok, who kept the charge of my sanctuary when the people of Israel went astray from me, shall come near to me to minister to me, and they shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, declares the Lord God. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall approach my table to minister to me, and they shall keep my charge. Now, <clears throat> we get a little more information now here in Ezekiel why the Zadokites are allowed to minister before him, and the rest of the Levites only to minister to the people. During the time that the nation of Israel went astray and they went after other gods, which had been a lot in their history, you remember in our study of Ezekiel, we saw that at the wicked height of the nation of Israel, they were actually worshiping other gods in the actual temple of God. And that's why his spirit left the temple. Well, the priests, the Levitical priests were also taking part in this. And they were leading the people to worship idols in the temple. And God kept track of who did he said the descendants of Zadok didn't do that, but the descendants, all the rest of the Levites did. And therefore, he said, because of that, in the millennial kingdom, the Zadokites, the descendants of Zadok, will be able to serve before me. They can come near me in the holy things, but the rest of the Levites won't be able to. Oh, they'll still serve in the temple, and they'll be charged of the responsibilities, and they'll be able to minister to the people, but they won't have the privilege of coming into my presence. Now, we're going somewhere with this, so I want you to stick with me. Go ahead. Go ahead. What do you mean by the priestly remnant? Because all of them, Levi, the, the ones that are going to serve before the people are priestly remnants. Right. Oh, in that sense, yes. They were, they were the priestly remnant. Yes, the Zadokites. And you're actually going to see, and I'm going to walk you through this, that the scripture actually shows us through the whole history. This has been going on, and it just, God even said way back that it was going to happen. He knows. He doesn't, he's not surprised. But what I want you to first grasp is this. We can see that God remembers what the Levites did in the past and what the Levites who descended from Zadok did as well. That's where we are so far. Keep in mind, the, the Levitical priests who are going to serve in the temple, who aren't of the descendants of Zadok, they're forgiven. Remember, all the nation of Israel at the end of the tribulation is going to be saved. They're all going to know the Lord. Remember, we've already studied all this. He's going to forgive them. He's going to put his spirit within them. He's going to wash them clean. But these guys still won't have the privilege of entering into his presence. There's something for us all. So, again, stick with me. But I'm about to take you on a deep, deep dive. All right? Let's go way back to 1 Chronicles chapter 6. I'm going to show you some history in the nation of Israel and show you how what, when God says, I swore that they would not be able to serve before me, he didn't just swear it when he's talking to Ezekiel. It had been said a long time ago. 1 Chronicles chapter 6, <clears throat> we're going to deal with verses 1 through 10. It says, now here are the sons of Levi, all right? Levi gave birth to Gershon, also Kohath, and Merari, all right? Now the sons of Kohath are Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, or Uziel, however you want to pronounce it. The children of Amram are Aaron, Moses, and Miriam, you've, you've heard of them. The sons, of Aaron are, the sons of Aaron are Nadab and Abihu. There's Eliezer and Ithmar. And Eliezer fathered Phinehas. That's a very important person coming up later on. 
And Phinehas fathered Abishua. Abishua fathered Buki. Buki fathered Uzi. Uzi fathered Zariah. Zariah fathered Mariath. Mariath fathered Amariah. Amariah fathered Ahitub. Ahitub fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Ahimahaz. Ahimahaz fathered Azariah. Azariah fathered Johanan. And Johanan fathered Azariah. And this Zadok, it was he who served as priest in the house that Solomon built in Jerusalem. All right? So it doesn't read that way unless you know the story. It, the, when it says it was he who served the, at the priest in the house that Solomon built in Jerusalem, it's talking about Zadok. And we'll prove that to you in a little bit. So to help you out, because it lists all the sons and then says, but then it goes, deals with one son and his descendants. Levi, the original priest, if you will, God said, I'm going to make the priests out of this family. Levi gave birth to a man named Kohath. Kohath gave birth to a man named Amram. Amram gave birth to Aaron. Aaron gave birth to Eleazar. Eleazar gave birth to Phinehas. And if you follow Phinehas's lineage, Zadok comes from Phinehas. And that's important. Okay? So we now know that all these people are all Levites. But there's a, a branch of that Levitical tree, if you will, that comes through Zadok and Phinehas. Go to Numbers chapter 25. And as you're turning to Numbers chapter 25, I'm going to tell you that God um, promised Phinehas that his descendants would always serve before him because of his holy zeal. And I'll explain and as we read this story, you'll see why. But don't miss that. God made a promise way, way back <clears throat> that Phineas's descendants would always serve before him. In Numbers chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, it says, While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, <clears throat> and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. <clears throat> Excuse me. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, that's the one we saw, who's a descendant of Levi, and his descendant of Eleazar, when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by the plague were 24,000. And the Lord said to Moses, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel, and that he was jealous, thank you, and that he was jealous with my jealousy among them, so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy. Therefore, therefore, therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. So to catch you up with what's going on, well, the people of Israel are there in Shittim. The, 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 the people of that area in, of Moab invite them to their worship of their false gods, and the people of Israel join with them, worship Baal, and God gets angry and he sends a plague. And God tells Moses, you want the plague to stop, you go kill all those leaders of the people who were 
actually worshiping Baal. And they're all at the entrance to the tent of meeting and they're worship, uh, worshiping and begging God and they're crying and they're weeping. And while that all goes on, one of the men of Israel takes a Midianite woman. Remember, they were told not to intermarry with other nations so that God would keep them as a pure nation. And he brings them right in front of his family and in front of all the people while this is all going on, takes her into his bedchamber. Phineas sees it, gets so righteously angry, jumps up from the tent of meeting, grabs a spear, runs into the inner chamber where they're having sex, and stabs them both through. By the way, when it talks about them, he stabs them both through her belly. They were connected at the time. He killed them both all at once. And God says, you did good. And the plague was stopped because he exercised God's holy anger, and he made a promise I'm going to give to Phineas a covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood. God made a promise then that Phineas's descendants would always be able to serve before him. All right? But there's a whole lot more to this story. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 2. Look at verses 27 through 36. There came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him, this is Levi, out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people, Israel? Now, before we get to verse 30, let me just kind of catch you up if you don't know the backstory. Eli is the high priest at the time. He has two sons, and uh, their, their names are, uh, pull them out here real quick. Hophni and Phinehas, I think, but they were not, not the same Phinehas. Yes, Hophni and Phinehas, all right? Not the same Phinehas, different one. These guys were wicked. They were serving as priests with their father, and when women would come to the temple to worship, they were having sex with them. And not only that, when people would come to offer their sacrifices, the law of Leviticus clearly said what was to be given to God and what was to be given to the priests as their offering. They weren't obeying that. They were taking what was to go to God as theirs, and they were actually, they were like, no, I know we're only supposed to get this portion of the lamb, but we want this portion, and they were fattening themselves with the people's offerings. They were going through the motions, and they were sinning wickedly. Eli knew it, and Eli didn't do anything about it. So in verse 30, Therefore the Lord of God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I'll cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that it will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever." The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, this is that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, 
shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And then God makes this promise. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Now, don't be too quick to answer. Verse 35, God says, I'm going to raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Who's he talking about? No. That's why I said don't answer quick. He's actually going to go in and out before the anointed one. The anointed one is Jesus. It's Zadok. He's talking about Zadok here and his, his line, Zadokian line. Remember, he told Phineas, you're always going to have a, a, line, a lineage served before me. The line of Zadok are going to come, and you're going to see Zadok is going to become a very special priest. Now, again, there's a chance this could be referring to David, as we know that David's going to serve at that time, but David doesn't come from the lineage of Levi. And so here we see that God tells Eli, look, I, I promised Levi that his descendants would always be, but I, I'm not going to do it through your, your, your branch. You guys aren't going to have any old men because of your wickedness. Actually, the few that do survive are going to be going when I bless Israel in the end, and they're going to go up to the other priests and say, hey, can I go into one of the priest's places so that I can eat a morsel of bread? You saw in your picture of the Millennial Temple how there's going to be chambers for the priests and we don't have time tonight. We won't be able to get to it, to deal with it. But th there's going to be those who uh, are going to be, that's how they're taken care of. And they're being fed by the sacrifices and the offerings. And they're going to eat them in the chambers. So what I want you to see is God now says, but I'm still going to raise up a holy line, if you will, that are going to serve before me. So Zadok, as we saw earlier in 1 Chronicles 6, is one that served before David and Solomon in the temple. Go to 2 Samuel, in 1 Samuel, go to 2 Samuel chapter 15. <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 15, look at verses 24 through 29. And if I was in 2 Samuel, it would read a whole lot different. So I was like, wait a minute, there we go. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 through 29. And Abiathar came up. And behold, Zadok came also with the, all the Levites, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God until the people had all passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, carry the Ark of God back into the city. And if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he'll bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your two sons, Ahimehaz and your son, and Jonathan the sons of Abiathar. See, I will wait at the, at the fords of the wilderness until word comes to, from you to inform me. So Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. Now, this is when David is running from Jerusalem because his son Absalom is trying to become king. And so as he's running... And he's leaving the city. Abiathar, which is the high priest at the time, and Zadok was serving as priest as well. They come with all the Levites carrying the ark, and they all leave in the city with David. And David says, no, um, you guys go back. You bring the ark back to Jerusalem where it belongs. 
And hopefully I'll be able to see it once again. But if God decides that he has no pleasure with me and he's done with me, he can do whatever he wants with me. But you guys are prophets too. So once you get word from the Lord, come tell me what it is and we'll go from there. Now, it looks like Abiathar and Zadok are two good guys, right? That's why we got to be careful and let the whole of Scripture speak to us. Because you're about to find out Abiathar isn't all that he crack, is cracked up to be as well. Go to 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 28 through 40. David's now back in Jerusalem. Solomon is going to be, be made the new king. Then King David answered, Call Bathsheba to me. So he came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so will I do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king. And she said, May my lord, King David, live forever. King David said, Come, uh, sorry, Call to me Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah." And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say so. And as the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and the Carathites and the Pelathites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet and all the people said, Long live King Solomon, and all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. All right, jump over to 1 Kings chapter 2. Look at verses 13 through 35. Then Adonijah, this is Solomon's brother, one of David's sons. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she said, Do you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully. <clears throat> then he said, I have something to say to you. She said, Speak. He said, you know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel fully expected me to reign. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. And now I have one request to make of you. Do not refuse me. She said to him, speak. And he said, please ask King Solomon. He will not refuse you to give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as my wife. But Bathsheba said, very, Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. So Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him on behalf of Adonijah. And the king rose to meet her and bowed down to her. And then he sat on his throne and had a seat brought for the king's mother. And she sat on his right. Then she said, I have one small request to make of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, make your request, my mother, for I will not refuse you. She said, let Abishag, the Shunammite, be given to Adonijah, your brother, as his wife. King Solomon answered his mother and said, and why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother. And on his side are Abiathar, that's the priest that was, we saw earlier, the priest, and Joab, the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, God do so to me and more also, if this word does not cost Adonijah his life. 
Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and placed me on the throne of my David, uh, sorry, of David, my father, and who has made me a house, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. And Ab- to Abiathar, the priest, the king said, go to Anatoth, to your estate, for you deserve death. But I will not at this time put you to death because you carried the ark of the Lord God before David, my father, and because you shared in all my father's affliction. So Solomon expelled Abiathar from being priest of the Lord, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord that he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. Where did he find that? He gave us I'm sorry? This is in 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 13 through 35. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 13 through 35. When the news came to Joab, for Joab had, had supported Adonijah, although he had not supported Absalom, Joab fled to the tent of the Lord and caught hold of the horns of the altar. And when it was told King Solomon, Joab has fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, he is beside the altar, Solomon sent Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go, strike him down. So Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, The king commands, Come out. But he said, No, I will die here. Then Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus, and thus he answered me. The king replied to him, Do as he has said, strike him down and bury him, and thus take away from me my, and my father, and from me and from my father's house the guilt for the blood that Joab shed without cause. The Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head, because without the knowledge of my father David, he attacked and killed with the sword two men more righteous and better than himself, Abner, the son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. So their blood shall come back on the head of Joab and on the head of his descendants forever. But for David and for his descendants and for his house and for his throne, there shall be peace from the Lord forevermore. Then Maniah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck him down and put him to death, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army in place of Joab, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of of Abiathar. So this has been going on for a long time. God said a long time ago. He said, look, Phineas, because of your holy zeal, I'm going to make a covenant of peace with you and all your descendants. Your descendants will always serve before me forever. He had already promised the Levites would be able to serve before him. But then because of the wickedness of the Levites and especially of Eli and his sons, God comes to Eli and says, you know what? Um, Your descendants aren't going to be a part of that promise. I've said the descendants of of Levi are going to serve before me. And I'm going to keep that promise, but it won't be through your line anymore. It won't be through your branch anymore. And you won't have any old men live in your house because eventually all your descendants are going to die off. Oh, and you want proof of this? Both of your sons are going to die in the same day. And if you know the story, they both did. They died in a battle at the exact same time. And when Eli heard about it, he fell back in his chair and died himself. And then Abiathar sure looks like he's a descendant of Eli. Sure looks like a good guy. He's serving the Lord, you know, for King David and carrying the ark. But then when Adonijah tries to become king, even though God had said Solomon was going to be the next king, Abiathar sided with Adonijah. And he lost his priesthood because of it, thus fulfilling the promise that God had made to Eli. He's also said there's going to be a, there are going to be a, royal, a priest that's going to serve before me, and they're going to come from Zadok. And like we just read in Ezekiel, during the time that Israel was really doing wickedness and worshiping other gods in the temple of the Lord even, the Zadokites were the only ones that wouldn't be a part of it. And God remembered. Has anyone seen it yet? 
I'm sorry? Oh, well, they're all over. We don't know. That's the neat thing. Let me just say to you, people, people have wrestled with that. They're like, well, how, how is God going to know who's an actual descendant of Zadok? First off, we even have the ability now through all this DNA testing to find out where your descendants come from. And you think God's not able to trace it all? He knows who knows who they are. And they're, and they're going to be spared. They're going to be, like how you put it, the remnant of priests, the priestly remnant. But what I don't want you to miss is this. I wrote in my notes, has anyone seen it yet? And I don't, this is where we're going to spend some time tonight. How we live in this life will have an effect on our reward and responsibilities in the future kingdom. And most Christians are, they're ignorant of this. I know too many people that say, I thank God I'm just going to heaven. No, there's a millennial kingdom for a thousand years before that. When we're raptured, we go be with him. We're going to, at that time, experience what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ. In which we will actually be held accountable for what we've done in the body since our salvation. And God's going to measure what we've done. And we'll either be rewarded, given responsibility in the kingdom to come, or we're going to suffer loss and miss out. And just like... What these people did in their life has an effect on their reward in the future. In the same way, it's that way for us as well. Don't have this wishy-washy mindset that thinks, well, everybody's saved and we're all just going to heaven. No, you are given salvation. You are eternally secure if you've been born again and God sealed you with his spirit. But that doesn't mean that you won't miss out on this next life. Not only in the millennial kingdom, but also in eternity. And I want to take some time to show you what the scripture has to say about this. So go with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. <clears throat> Luke chapter 19, verse 11 says, As they heard these things, he proceeded, this is Jesus Speaking, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And so to clarify that, he said, uh, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas. And he said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well, good, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. That's not an accident. That's, that's not a story. This is a parable that's teaching us a spiritual truth. This one went away, king went away, noble went away to receive a kingdom, and he came back. But before he left, he gave responsibility, and he's going to come back and reckon with him. He's going to come back and reckon with us. Then another came. Second one came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are over to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief <clears throat> for I was afraid of you, because you're a severe man. You take what you didn't deposit, you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I'll condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. 
And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you, to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who didn't want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Folks, this is not the same thing as the parable of the talents. This is different. Parable of the talents teaches a similar truth, but not the exact same truth. In the parable of the talents, he gave one five talents, another two, and another one. They all were given different levels of responsibility, each according to their ability. But in this one, all ten servants were each given one mina. So with this much we know, in this story, all the people in this story all had equal amount of responsibility. Now, in the Bible, we don't all have the same amount of responsibility. Some of us are given five. Some of us are given two. Some of us are given one. God doesn't expect the same out of everybody. But if we've all been given the same amount, let's say you're all twos, he's going to hold all the twos accountable, and the one that had the one, Mina, and it turned into ten, he was given great responsibility in the kingdom to come. He's going to be in charge of ten cities. He's going to have responsibility and privilege the one who had the one and it turned into five, he's going to be in charge of five cities. Don't miss this. It has an effect on what happens. How the, the priests lived in this life has an effect on whether or not they're going to get to even be in the presence of Jesus. Oh, they're forgiven. They'll still, the others will still serve as priests, but they're going to serve before the people. They're going to miss out. Folks, I don't want you to miss this. I think when the Bible says he's going to wipe every tear from our eye, that's after the judgment seat of Christ. I think that there's going to be tears in heaven. Because the Bible says afterwards he'll wipe every tear from their eye. I think there's going to be people who actually have regret at the judgment seat of Christ. Go with me to, um, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Actually, we'll go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 first and then 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen to verses 10 and following. Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than what which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. You see that capital D? For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Is Paul talking to believers or unbelievers here? How do you, you're right, it is believers, but how do you know? It's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Anything that's been done after that foundation has been laid is going to be judged. I don't want you to miss this. One of the blessings of my cancer has been the fact that it has made me even less interested in this life. 
When I got so close to death and when I got so close to not even enjoying the life that I was having because of the cancer and the chemo and all that stuff, the things of this world became strangely dim and my heart for the things of God continued to grow. And even after the cancer is gone now and I've been declared healed and I thank the Lord for it. And I know that he's like Paul said in Philippians chapter one, I'm going to stay on in the body and help you in your progress in the faith. I'm not going to say, oh, now I'm going to live it up in this world because I feel better. No, that desire for things of this world the dire for things of this world is still gone. I want to lay up treasure in heaven. Because one day, I don't know if I'm a five or a two or a one, but one day I'm going to be held accountable for everything he gave for me to do when I see Jesus at the rapture. We all get excited about the rapture, don't we? I hear a lot of Christians, I had a lady tell me yesterday, she goes, I'm ready to go. I'm, tired. I'm sick of this world. I'm ready. And you know what? That's great. But do you realize that when you're raptured, you go to the Bema seat? Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's one thing to say, I'm ready for the rapture. I'm ready to get out of this world. It's another thing to say, I'm ready to go stand before Jesus and have him judge me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verses 6 through 10. Paul says, so we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. By the way, that's that famous passage, absent from the body, present with the, Lord, for present with the Lord. For while we walk by faith, not, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. Would you not agree with that and say amen? I would. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now that word evil could be better translated worthless. You remember how we just saw in 1 Corinthians 3, everything we do after salvation is going to be judged, whether it's gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. The fire is going to test it. And if it's gold, silver, precious stones, it'll survive the fire and will be rewarded. If it's wood, hay, stubble, it's worthless and it'll be burnt up. Oh, by the way, God's not going to measure how impressive your work has been. He's going to deal with your heart. You see, I could preach to 10,000 people, but if my preaching was so that I would get the acclaim and, and the attention, and the reason why I was doing was because I was impressed with myself and I thought I was something. Even though God would use it, I get no reward. Didn't Jesus say, when you pray, don't pray in front of other people to be seen by them? When you give, don't do it so that people will be impressed with how much you give. If you do that, you've already got that, your reward. You will get no reward from your Father in heaven. So what I want to do is I want to show you that all of us have the chance to be rewarded in the millennial kingdom and in the eternal state by being faithful to do what it is that God's given us to do. You do realize that when you were saved, you receive the Spirit of God to seal you, correct? But the Bible also says at the same time that He sealed you with His Spirit, He gave you spiritual gifts. And you're to be using them. Don't try to do what other people are doing. Some are five, some are two, some are one. Don't try to do what other people are doing, but you better find out what it is that you're supposed to be doing. And a lot of people say, well, well how do I know? Let me, let me help you out. Don't take a spiritual gift test. Oh, they're out there. We can take a spiritual gift test and answer 50 to 100 questions, and it'll tell you what your gift is. Folks, I could take five tests and get five different answers, depending on how I'm feeling, whether or not I had pizza. You know? 
You want to know how you find out what your gifts are? You get involved in the life of the church. You get plugged in with a body of believers. You go regularly to Bible studies or Sunday school and worship. Get involved in the fellowship, and your gifts will become evident to you and everybody around you. If you're a mercy person, your mercy is just going to start coming out. If you're an encourager, an exhorter, you're going to be that way. If you're a teacher, if whatever it is, if you're a service helps person, someone that likes to be behind the scenes and just making sure that things are taken care of so that other people can do the more public thing, it'll become obvious. Get involved in the life of your church. Go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, look at verses 3 through 8. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, in other words, according to the responsibility I've been given, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many parts. By the way, the word members, I'm going to translate to parts because I just don't like the word member just for the fact that I've been a pastor too long and dealt with too many church members. All right. For as in one body we have many parts. And the parts don't all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually parts one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If it's prophecy in proportion to our faith, if it's service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Did did you catch what he says here? We all have been different, just like in a body, there's all these different parts, and they all work together amazingly. We are all like that in Christ. We all are different parts of the body. And whatever your part is, do it. And I love how he says, in proportion to your faith. In other words, when he says here, if it's prophecy, do it in proportion to your faith. There are some people that are gifted by God to stand in front of large crowds and preach. There are other preachers that that would scare them to death to speak in front of large crowds. They're more comfortable preaching and teaching small, small groups or Some of you may be really gifted to teach the Word of God, but you're more comfortable teaching children than you would be an adult. Your gifting is still going to be according to, just because you're a teacher doesn't mean you're able to teach everybody. I'll be honest with you, I really struggle teaching children. Anybody have an idea why? Because I want to use a thousand verses to illustrate what I'm wanting to say, and children don't know the Bible, I'm not real good at teaching a brand new believer the basics, 101, 102. I'm not good that way, because I'll kill them. I'll be shoving food down their throat, and they're not ready to eat it. But I'm comfortable with adults who know the Word and want to know the Word more. I'm comfortable in front of a large group, actually do better the bigger the group. That's how I've been wired by God. What is your gifting? If it's giving, give. If it's serving, serve. But one day when that rapture comes and we're all looking for, when that happens, you're going to the judgment seat of Christ. And there he will determine what your future reward's going to be. You do know the Bible says there's levels of punishment in hell. Everybody that, that rejects Christ goes to hell. But the Bible actually teaches those who knew what they were supposed to do and didn't do it will be beaten with many stripes. Those who didn't know but still did what was deserving of punishment will be beaten with few stripes. There's levels of reward in heaven. For eternity, there's levels of reward. Actually, I don't have time to get into it. First Corinthians chapter 15, when Paul talks about how we don't know what kind of bodies we're going to have, but they're definitely not going to be like the ones we have. He actually uses this, this picture and he says, just as one star differs from another in glory, I think there's a chance that some of us might have more of a glory for eternity than others. Determined by 
their faithfulness on this, in this life. Folks, why are we still here if we've been saved? Well, so God can use us. Yes, but why does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, don't store up treasure here on earth where moth and rust can corrupt it and thieves can break in and steal. Store up treasure in heaven because he knows that we're not to be living for this life. But do you know what we deal with most of the time as pastors in our churches today? We deal with church members fussing over things they don't like here. We want it comfortable. It's too hot. It's too cold. I don't like the music. And we got so many Christians that are living for here and living for now. The Bible, if we were faithful to it, tells us over and over, be willing to give up your rights. Put your eyes on the Lord. Trust him. Don't worry about the other stuff. Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, look, you're all going to go away from me. But I'm going to be all right. My father's going to be with me. Paul, end of his life, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, At my first defense, nobody stood by me. They all deserted me. May it not be held against them. Because the Lord was with me. Psalm 23 says what? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Yet, even though the Bible says if someone sues you, give them your your cloak as well. They sue you for your tunic, give them your cloak as well. Someone slaps you on the cheek, give them the other one. It actually says in 1 Corinthians 6, when they had this lawsuits going on among believers, Paul even says, why not be wronged? Why do you feel like you have to defend yourself? Let me challenge you, folks. Stop living for this life. Stop trying to defend yourself. Stop trying to make sure your rights are being taken care of. And put your full trust in the fact that God said he will never, take, never leave you nor forsake you. He'll fully take care of you. What can man do to you? He'll provide for all your needs. Even if the government does crazy stuff, you're going to be all right. And if people need to be retaliated because of what they've done to you, God says, I'll take care of that too. Just take your eyes off of this life. Put your eyes on the one to come. And you'll be storing up reward in heaven. And let me tell you, the church would be a different place if the people stopped worrying about this life as much as we do. Now, with all that said, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 41 and 42. We are studying Ezekiel, I think. And I'm about to cover two chapters in 10 minutes. You ready? Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm not going to read to you chapter 41 like I normally do. We're not going to stay here in this chapter. I want you to read it for yourself. Verse, there's 26 verses. You can read it on your own. We're not going to stay here because this chapter is mostly specific measurements of the inner temple or the sanctuary where God will dwell. Now, in Ezekiel's vision, though, it'll help you in the English Standard Version. The sanctuary is called the nave. So whenever you see the word nave, it's talking about the sanctuary, the, the inner part of the temple, the holy of holies and the most holy place where Jesus is going to be. All right. Now, if you were to do a careful study of 1 Kings chapter 6 and 7, you would find that there's a difference between this temple and Solomon's temple, but we're not going to do that. There are some engineer types that love that kind of stuff. You love to pull out your slide rule and your graph paper and you do the math and try to figure out. Let me just tell you, go have fun. Go do it. But if you do that, you'll find that there's a difference between Solomon's temple and the Millennial Kingdom temple. All right. Um, I decided not to do it just simply because I want to enjoy life, all right? But if that's your thing, go have fun with it. But in Ezekiel chapter 41, we also see that there are cherubs that are carved on the walls of the inner sanctuary. And along the walls, there are these cherubs, and there's a palm tree and a cherub and a palm tree and a cherub all the way around. But interestingly enough, the cherubs only have two faces. 
You remember back in the beginning of our study in Ezekiel chapter 1? I think it was back in 2012 when we started or whatever. But, but we, we in first, Ezekiel chapter 1 verses 4 through 10 when Ezekiel saw the cherubim and they had four faces. One of an eagle and an ox and a man and a lion. The cherubs, interestingly enough, that he sees on the walls here only have two faces now. One of a man and one of a lion. Speculation. Again, whenever I speculate, I'm going to tell you it's speculation. And my speculation is going to come from the scriptures. But there's a chance that those cherub that have only a face of a man and a lion are going to be depicting the one who lives inside that temple, who is man and king. As you know, lion is always talking about the kingship. But again, we don't know fully why, but there's only two faces on the cherubs and not four. Now, if you want to read chapter 42, verses 1 through 20, I encourage you to do it. But once again, I'm not going to spend too much time in this chapter, but I'm going to just point out a couple of quick things as we close tonight. In chapter 42, verses 13 and 14, chapter 42, verses 13 and 14, I want to read that to you. It says, Then he said to me, The north chambers and the south chambers opposite the yard are the holy chambers, where the priests who approach the Lord shall eat the most holy offerings. There shall they shall put on the most holy, there shall they shall put the most holy offerings, and there shall they put uh, the grain offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offering, for the place is holy. When the priests enter the holy place, they shall not go out of it into the outer court without laying their garments in which they minister, for those are holy. They shall put on other garments before they go near to that which is for the people. So here we see that there are going to be special chambers where the priests who are to eat the grain and the sin and the guilt offerings. What we're going to do next week when we come back is I'm going to take you through a very detailed study of the book of Leviticus to show you why that there are certain responsibilities and instructions, what the instructions were for what was to go to God, what was to go to the priests, and how God was going to take care of them. Because keep in mind, when the nation of Israel was brought out of Egypt and into the promised land and God divided all the land, did the Levites get any land? Well, how are they going to eat then if they're not able to plant and harvest and all that and herd or whatever? How are the Levites going to be taken care of? Well, God's plan was that the people, when they came to worship, would bring their worship and their grain offering, their sin offering, their burnt offerings, the meat and different things, and the drink offerings. Some was to be given to God, some was to be given to the priests, and they were to eat it. We're going to deal with that in a lot more detail next week. But you're going to see also, and this is a crazy thing, the Scripture is even going to say that when they eat it, it's going to make them holy. We're going to deal with that and tie it to our relationship with the Lord. And, and I'm going to read you a passage as we close tonight that helps you begin to get ready for that. But actually, the Bible says that we're supposed to be offering spiritual sacrifices right now. We're a royal priesthood. We're supposed to be offering spiritual sacrifices. Are you doing it? Your eyes get big and go, what are they? Well, you better come back next week because I'm going to tell you what they are. So we're, gonna, we're not going to take the time but except to say that there are special chambers that the priests are going to be able to, to stay, and there's where they're going to eat what they've been given. And, but it's a holy place where the grain and the sin offerings are supposed to be stored, and they'll eat it just there. Oh, by the way, are the Levites who aren't allowed to go in the presence of the Lord eat that? No. What was given to Jesus won't be, get, won't be allowed to be eaten by the Levites. They'll, be, they'll get to eat what was given for the people, but the stuff that's going to be brought before Jesus, only the Zedekites are going to be. Why? Because how we live in this life has an effect on our privileges or loss of privileges in the life to come. I'm going to ask you again, according to Scripture, were those Levites who served before the people, are they forgiven? 
Are they saved? Is God's spirit in them? The Bible says he'd do all of that. But even though they're forgiven and they're, his spirit is within them and they're saved, they miss out on the privilege of going into the Holy of Holies where Jesus is. Wow. I think we better take serious the life we live here. Because many of us are going to all of a sudden be shocked by how much we missed out on. As I was doing this study and looking at all the specifics, which we'll get to next week, of how they were to do the sacrifices and how the priests were to eat this but not that, and they were to burn this but not that, what came to my mind was, aren't we grateful for Jesus? We've been given a real privilege here, folks, in this church age. It's going to go back to the Levitical system. It's going to go back to the sacrificial system, not exactly like it was in the Old Testament, but a lot. We've been given a wonderful privilege here. Do we take full advantage of it? In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, go again to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Did you catch that? For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then verses 19 and following, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the conf confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I don't want you to miss this. The Hebrew writer who spent all this time saying, because of what Jesus did, we've already been made perfect. We've already been made holy. We're in the process of being sanctified. And we can boldly go before the throne. We can boldly go to the Father. We can approach Him because of the blood of Jesus. We've had our hearts washed with His blood and our bodies washed with pure water. Oh, but don't just sit back and say, thank God I'm saved. What are we to do then? We're to not forsake assembling together and we're to encourage each other to love and good works as we see that day approaching. By the way, what's that day again? It's the rapture and the judgment seat of Christ. Do you realize that's what I've done tonight? That's all I've done tonight is to tell you how awesome it is, the salvation we've got, but don't just sit back and say, fat and happy, glad I'm going to heaven. I don't want you to miss out on the reward that is to come. And crazily enough, we learned that from Ezekiel chapter 40, and God says, the Zadokites can come before me, but the rest of the Levites can't. Isn't it amazing what's here? Let's close with that one passage I want you to spend some time meditating on between now and when we come back next week, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to really dive into 1 Peter chapter 2 next week as we look at the priest's responsibilities and how they were to eat and what they were to do. First Peter chapter 2, Peter says, So put away all malice and all deceit 
and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, if you're really saved. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to you, but to destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We're going to dive into that passage next week along with the book of Leviticus. Isn't that amazing? This passage and the book of Leviticus are going to come together next week. But I just want to challenge you. You've been saved and you've tasted that the Lord is good. You've been made a royal priesthood yourself. And you're to be, and I'm to be, offering spiritual sacrifices. What are they? See you next week. I love you. We'll see you then.